another episode of what the frack the ucc and virusock podcast we have a special guest with us today do you want to introduce yourself yeah um hi guys i'm asha and i'm um on the environmental society and i am very too long yeah the longest running member the longest running member yeah to my shame this is the last year though so finally (laughs) famous Uh, last year (laughs) (laughs) And I'm um, again here. Yeah, Mark is back. And on this week's episode, we're talking about our experience with Green Forum. And we'll be talking about what it is and what happened at it. It's um so Green Forum is basically like a biannual meeting forum, whatever a forum is, basically a meeting between people in the college, senior management and academic staff and admin staff who are interested in or doing research or are kind of working on progressing the university's kind of sustainability objectives and sustainability strategy. So the forum is just like a meeting they have twice a year to kind of review what they've been up to and where their head is, what they need to kind of continue to do. I don't know how many years it's been running, but I know since I was in second year, which was a long time ago, <laughs> um, it was a thing and I heard about it and I wanted us, wanted to get students on it. And um, two people from the students union sit on it, which is great, um, but there wasn't any regular students sitting on it. So then by the time Neve was chairperson, which was last year, um, she was able to get on it just to have a student like a, a regular student who's interested or, or doing stuff in Green Campus or in Brunersock sitting on the committee. Yeah, it's mad to think that it was cut off from students for so long, considering the whole kind of angle of Green Campus is that it's like student-led and stuff. Yeah, it seems like it was maybe just a... An oversight, maybe. oversight, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah There's no oversights in UCC. This year, all three of us got uh, snaked our way through the front door at the table, yeah. which was um, <laughs> wild. Exciting. Yeah, it was. It was actually. It was actually a great fun, and <laughs> we did not go easy on the college. <laughs> no, nor should we. Um, and I actually think that going forward in the future, that it's like there should be strong student representation on it to to keep holding the college accountable because I feel like that's something we feel like we weren't able to do in the past that much. Yeah, to like bridge the gap between students off yeah. a bit more. Yeah, sure. One of the things we, because I talked a bit in the meeting about accountability, and one thing that we had said was that, you know, the only, the only pathway for students that are doing stuff in this area, um, the only pathway for us to affect change or to try put pressure on the college at a management level is through Green Campus or through buildings and estates and the sustainability officer which is like we, we have a great working relationship with the sustainability officer and buildings and estates but it's you know they're only that's two two people we kind of work with directly in the whole college it's not really enough and they do have their own jobs to be doing as well yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's not easy going into um, a staff dominated space sometimes I think it'd be quite intimidating 
because I know when I went to the first green forum I was literally the only student in the room oh but and the SU officer was with me as well but I kind of felt like all eyes were on me and it was kind of um me a bit daunting yeah no well, definitely it... especially when they're all um academics and uh mm. you're like wow these people know what they're talking about <laughs> 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 you really have to stand your ground and convince yourself that you know what you're talking about as well so yeah I think this year was a bit unique in that we got kind of a designated time slot as well to speak so we we really prepared our battle plan before yeah. <laughs> literally the google doc is called green forum battle plan <laughs> as it's good for us to get there as well because as students we have like we're in a unique position in that di- different to staff i i understand a lot of the time that you know staff obviously when they're when they're there they're there to talk about their achievements and they're there to kind of show that the job they're doing is is worth the money that's being invested in it and I think a lot of the time when staff are talking that you know they're talking about we've done this since the last meeting and this and this and this and that's all great but you know for us it was um an opportunity to more so highlight the areas that we're completely miserably failing and and we don't have a, a a job to worry about I mean they could try kick us out of college but like good luck to them. <laughs> come out um, of UCC <laughs> you know, we, we're I think we're in a unique position that there's not much that we're going to lose by saying mm. what we want to say yeah it's very true that's why we had like all our points prepared going in um, and we're going to talk through some of the things that we discussed um, in this episode Niamh do you want to kick off well, I suppose you don't really have to go over what maybe we did last year, but... Yeah, basically, I just kind of did a little introduction. And I talked a little bit, like, 30 seconds about all the nice things that we achieved last year. But there hadn't been a Green Forum meeting in over a year. So basically, we just kind of wanted to emphasise that, you know, this is an opportunity for change um, with everything that's going on currently. And to seize that opportunity and take action. And I think I just wanted to stress, like we all wanted to stress that it's not just on students, that in every department, every staff member, every group needs to take action and be as sustainable as possible and prioritise sustainability and climate justice in everything we do. Asher, do you want to kind of go on to your next one? So how we divided it up as well was we really wanted to shock the academics. <laughs> <laughs> jumping between each of us and keeping them on their toes yeah because we didn't have a presentation either and um so we just kind of talked and talked and talked but we, and yeah. there had been a hour of meeting before we got mm. a chance to talk as well yeah we were too lazy to make a powerpoint yeah and as well because we were jumping between us so much it didn't really give anyone an opportunity to like interrupt us or mm office um so yeah I basically like when I started talking then I just I suppose I wanted to set us up position ourselves in in a good position and go you know that yeah we're students but this is what we've been doing the whole time we've been in college like all three of us have been chair of green co-chair of green campus and chair of Envirosoc this is something we take seriously and 
all three of us are studying this it's it's we're not just because I find as well like um a lot of academics can be like very desensitized to people that come at it from an activist angle and they find it very like emotive and stuff so I think it's it, it can help your case to kind of position yourself and going well I'm studying this as well and it's not just I'm, I'm not like very Malthusian end of the world about it so and great word, yeah. huh? <laughs> great word. <laughs> oh I love that word Malthusian yeah Malthusianism is, is very interesting um and yeah and just that you know it's great to be like oh students should have reusable water bottles and we have biodegradable coffee cups but like we the conversation is just like so far past that now mm. when we catch up so yeah I was kind of just positioning ourselves like that and um then I went on to talk about procurement and buildings and energy because these are our kind of like biggest biggest carbon footprint in the whole college and we're seriously underestimating it as well um because it's hard to quantify scope three emissions and I just wanted to stress that you know as a public institution we have a social and environmental responsibility when when we're entering contracts with companies and uh, when everything we purchase everything we build everything we do consumes energy and has an impact and produces carbon so we need to seriously plan and consider every single thing that we do and think you know is it worth it is the environmental cost worth this purchase or worth worth this development so then I went on to mark <laughs> <laughs> and then I I wanted to bring up kind of health and I feel like it is something that the college just doesn't look at at all in the yeah. in the kind of scope of the climate crisis and I was kind of linking in how COVID has shown us how kind of underfunded our health services and how the climate crisis is also going to be a health crisis. And actually our conference, which was a few weeks ago, the theme of it was lessons from... Lessons from COVID-19 in building a climate resilient society. There we go. <laughs> so I was kind of really stressing that we need to, we need to learn from this from this crisis um, and not make the same mistakes because like you know you see all the premature deaths from air pollution and you see kind of the increased spread of and range of diseases and that like climate change is going to put massive pressure on our health service um, and then I also wanted to link in the the mental health crisis that climate change is causing all kind of like eco-anxiety and eco-grief that's affecting not just activists but a lot of young people and, and old people, I suppose, as well. But we don't we don't care about <laughs> old people. <laughs> and I was just really stressing that, like, as an institution, UCC needs to, like, start addressing this now and be prepared to deal with it because it, it's going to be really bad. Yeah, it's just going to get worse. Do you want to go on to the next point, Asha? Yeah, so um, I kind of, just kind of tying into what Mark had been talking about, about the parallels between COVID and um, the climate crisis and how, you know, um, the instability of the economic model our college runs on has really just been highlighted this year. You know, the, the university sector is taking a huge economic hit. We've seen yeah issues with access to healthcare, access to housing, um, access to education, access to a safe, 
safe, clean, green environment has also even come up in the last year because people are confined to five kilometres and they maybe don't have green space that they can go to. Um, all these things have become so apparent. And again, you know, I think the, these topics maybe seem very like far-fetched and almost abstract for to be telling like the senior management of our college, but they're a huge institution and they're, you know, always yapping on about how they're ninth in the leaderboard in the world in the green metric so actually they should be addressing these more kind of bigger societal wide things and, and using what pull they have so yeah I just wanted to kind of highlight you know that they really need to be putting pressure on the government to be publicly investing in our education system in our healthcare system um, in our in our local economy, in our local infrastructure, because they have that pull, they have that leeway. You know, they they are people who get to sit at meetings with local authorities and government officials and talk to them in a way that many of us don't. Um, and then kind of moving on from that, one thing I wanted to highlight was the kind of contradictions that arise because because we're we're losing public funding so rapidly and it's probably only going to get worse in the next couple of years as we probably enter a period of austerity um they're turning to private investment all all the time they're having to turn to private investment um from companies and we see this quite evidently in ucc with you know ford who build cars um sponsor the quirkus scholarship program and Blackstone Launchpad is sponsored by Blackstone, which are one of the largest venture capitalists in the entire world. And they're, they own like the most real estate in Ireland out of any company. And like, you know, I just wanted to ask them, like, wh what conditions are you putting in place? What, like what ethical, environmental, social things are coming to mind when you're entering into agreements with these companies? And I'd say it's not something that's entering their mind at all because they're so desperate for money, mm. which is unfortunate. And and these private partnerships as well actually just threaten the very nature of education itself when research is, the outcome of research is profit-oriented. It, it's just a very unstable market. And we Blackstone Launchpad vaporized this year. Students have been talking about it. You know, students who had small businesses set up have just completely lost that support. And that just shows you how unreliable these private companies are. When push comes to shove, they, they'll run if it's there's no profit for them. So that was my favorite thing to get to bring up. <laughs> I think we were all waiting for that. And yeah. they, they didn't have an answer to it either. No. No. I, and I suppose, you know, I... Because I know for a lot of them, it's like academia is, is competitive. The money, you know, a lot of people feel like the money has to come from somewhere. And is it not the, the you know, the outcome, the does that the public kind of good outcome that comes from research, does that not outweigh the bad? And there's arguments to be made, but just even considering these contradictions in the first place is important, I think. Anyway, I'll stop rambling now because I'm getting to end it. And then Niamh. <laughs> <laughs> um so my next point was just about climate justice i just started kind of explaining what it was in case any of the people in the room weren't familiar with it um and just talking about the privilege that we have 
um, in Ireland as like a wealthy country compared to lots of countries in the global south, uh, especially because we're not experiencing the worst effects of climate change there. And on a, given that they're least responsible for like historically um, the global emissions that caused the climate crisis in the first place, it's just so unjust that they're suffering the most. And Mark wrote this, but he, he said, we strive to be at the forefront of climate action, but we're not going to be at the forefront of the climate crisis. And I thought that was like um, a very good way of putting it, um, very effective. Um, so basically kind of just stressing the point that the climate crisis is going to displace like millions of people um, and we need to support those worst affected. And one of the points was that we could offer sanctuary scholarships for those seeking refuge in Ireland um, and in UCC and that we could potentially use like climate reparations to kind of right the wrongs of the past and to, I suppose, just um, try to use our financial power to address inequalities that exist and try that are, that were caused by the climate crisis and also um, exacerbated by it. And basically just not staying silent as, because the power and influence that UCC has is like massive, um, especially given how many people are staff, students, whatever. It's like a huge amount of people in Cork alone so to use that kind of power and influence for good speaking up against governments and particularly our government when they fuck up um, and they're not doing enough uh, but companies as Asha um, pointed out you know that they're just not doing enough and causing much causing a lot of harm and I guess that's difficult but I think that it's our our duty to do that, given that we have got, contributed to causing the climate crisis, that it's the very least that we should do and that we sh must do, really. Yeah, I think as well, like one of the reasons UCC is so slow to, to speak out about these things and speak out against like companies and the government is because they're scared of losing funding if they speak yeah. out, which is I don't know, a symptom they're, of they're, they're operating on a they're operating on a business model. Yeah, exactly. that's that's what the what comes with it. The minute you're having to turn to private investments, that even like using the words like university sector, like that's that's economic speak, and that's how you have to talk about them because of the scale of income they're losing. <laughs> yeah. This year. UCC, you're not a business, you're a university. <laughs> 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 then I kind of went on to resourcing. So I think one of the big things we wanted to get out here is that like the mink of staff and money that the university puts into say like finance or any other sector in the university, the mink they put into like sustainability and like staff working on sustainability and stuff is minuscule and um, mm. and that like the the figure that I want to bring up was like the University of Edinburgh they have a sustainability team of I think it's 26 people whereas in UCC we have a sustainability officer <laughs> <laughs> and like the scope of that job is just so big that it's just completely unfair to put on one person I suppose and the mink that needs to be done, we really need to start just hiring more staff um, to work in the area. But also something that's come up in the past few weeks and kind of speaking to people working in procurement is a lot of the staff in the university 
are being expected to kind of incorporate sustainability into their jobs when they have no background or training in it. And I, I think it was actually Asha who came up with this kind of this point that sustainability isn't a hobby. We need people who are like qualified in the area and we need higher experts and we need to kind of upskill our current staff. Yeah, like I'm like I did my undergrad in environmental science and now I'm doing a master's in environmental law and there's so many other people like that who who are, have qualifications in these things but you know we need to be employing those people into roles in all departments um in all sectors and it, and it is getting better you see it in the private sector now like industries are employing like environmental officers and and sustainability officers but it's like one to like uh, a whole company <laughs> you know if the ratio is very small and if you're if we're to be serious about sustainability I think I have such an issue with sustainable development as a concept and as an objective I think it's become such a buzzword and people don't look look at it as an objective which is so interesting as well in in the context of a university where like you know we're we're academics we're researchers um if you're ever doing a dissertation you know your your supervisors always like and what are your aims and objectives and what are the steps you're going to take to get there and like that's actually the most important part is the steps you're going to take like in a quantitative or qualitative manner to achieve your objective that's like the whole thing you're getting marks for is are you actually showing that you're doing that and people don't approach sustainable development in the same way it's it's an objective it's an aim and we need to have like concrete steps that we're taking to achieve this and it's it's like that quote um, up there, Mark from Vakening in University um, and Research, who um, have been the leader in the green metrics, and we threw that in there because you know they're the top dog, and uh, if we if we show them that we know who the top dog is, then hopefully they'll take us a bit more seriously. But a quote from one of their reports is that. Um, Mapping out strategies and formulating policies is easily done, but sustainable development does not happen by itself. A driving force is needed. Responsible persons need to be appointed. And that's exactly it. It's like you you need people. There's a there's an implementation issue everywhere. That's why we're failing to achieve sustainable development. Myself and Neve know this in environmental law. Like the climate regime is such a catastrophic failure because there's an implementation issue. Like there's all this research exists and then there's no one implementing it. There's no oversight for actually enforcing it into government and enforcing it into policy and all this kind of stuff. And that's the issue. And and then the other side of that as well is sustainable development. You know, it's about balancing environmental needs, social needs and economic needs. And if you have 50 people working in the economic part of your company and you only have one sustainability officer, you're not going to achieve a balance at all. And that's the same issue in our college. It's like, how many people are employed working in in the finance side or the, the development side of our college and there's one sustainability officer it's just you're obviously you're setting yourself up to fail yeah no exactly i think one of the points i wanted to bring up as well was you know you might have 50 people working in the economic side but the one person in the sustainability side is expected to try to do as much work as those 50 people and <laughs> um, no which is ridiculous and like the, the pressure that's put on all that, I would say, in the university yeah. and kind of a toxic working environment, if I'm honest. <laughs> you see it, like 
they all the staff were presenting all they're doing and you can you can see they are doing amazing work and they're kind of at their they're at their capacity just like we as students are at our capacity what we can do but yeah we need more we need better resourcing across the board yeah and i think that was one of your opening lines as well asha was we are doing as much as we can as students the university needs to start doing more neve do you want to go on to your next point Next point was leadership from university management, because as, as Asha said, um, there's a huge emphasis on individual action and things like the coffee cups and the reusable bottles and stuff, which are worthwhile in themselves, but it's not. You know, we need <laughs> bigger, more radical action on all levels, um, especially on the managerial level. And they need to kind of lead by example. We use the example of things like commuting to work and um, like using cars and stuff but instead of just driving by themselves in their car either carpooling or using public transport or cycling if they can if they live close enough and I know I brought up the point as well that like the public infrastructure <laughs> public transport infrastructure is like, pretty awful in Cork um, and that needs to be addressed too um, it needs to be accessible and it needs to be dependable and adequate and that UCC basically needs to use their their power and influence to work with like Cork City Council um, to improve that because Jesus, like I'm commuting to college for the past like four or five years and I'm not even commuting that far and um, it's a pain in the earth. Um, so I can't even manage it, ma imagine how people feel coming from further from UCC, um, but it just needs to be changed and it also needs to be cheaper, but that's a different conversation, I suppose. And we also brought up the fact that a lot of the kind of um, a lot of staff fly, I suppose, when we're not in like a global pandemic, um, they fly for conferences and different meetings across the world. And the huge emissions from the aviation sector, you know, can't be denied. And, you know, if you're a frequent flyer, you know, it, things need to be changed. And especially now we know how we know how easy it is to set up digital calls and Zoom calls for meetings and whatever, that it can be done and it should be done because there are alternatives to flying. And basically if they're not flying as much, they're not driving as much when they ask their staff to reduce their own personal carbon footprints to commute more sustainably, for example, that it's, it's justified because they're leading by example. So basically it ties into what Asha talks about next, which is about accountability and how you know, you can't ask people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. It just doesn't make any sense. I think on the flying thing there as well, and I think John O'Halloran did actually touch on it, was, mm. you know, it, it is dependent. You know, young academics are kind of expected to go to conferences more often to, to grow their reputation or whatever, or get their papers out there. Whereas kind of older academics, you know, they've had their chance. <laughs> <laughs> not but like they've they've been flying to conferences for years you know mm. and for younger academics it can be a lot more important to to go to conferences so we need to take that into account as well yeah but like the the university management shouldn't be flying around the gaff <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um just on the like accountability thing then i kind of touched off it earlier but i just highlighted you know that it's great that we had three of us there today, but this needs to be kept up. And, you know, the last, it would have been a year and a half since the last Screen 4 meeting because of the whole 
panoramic and all that. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, you understand, but at the same time, it was put off for a year and a half when it's meant to be twice a year. And the last one was, you know, Neve, it was the first time Neve got to go. And um, it's great that they're opening up the doors now, but it should have been happening a long time ago and mm. it needs to continue. And I just particularly wanted to highlight the, you know, that <laughs> they might feel like we're giving them a hard time, but the generation coming up behind us are, uh, I'd love to be at a fly in the wall in a couple of years time at that meeting and see <laughs> some of the kids who are going to be in college growing up and uh, sitting at that table, giving them a hard time as well. Hopefully not if they take our words. Word, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's maybe wishful thinking. Um, and just particularly given the fact that that I've always felt like UCC have a field day with promoting the fact that they're a green campus. Not only that they're a green campus, but they're the world's first green campus. And no, I actually, when I, in my first opening kind of speech, part speech, I actually, like, <laughs> when I first started talking, I was like you know we always hear we're the world's first green campus but what does it actually mean it's always bothered me like what does that actually mean really when you look into it it doesn't mean a whole lot it just means that a group of students 11 years ago came from green schools at a primary level and second level and they were bothered by the fact that their university wasn't taking accountability and wasn't um taking the risk on responsibility and considering environmental things and they went and demanded that they did and that's all it means really it doesn't mean that we were the best in the world at the time it doesn't mean that whoever hands I think it's on Toshka in Ireland you know went around and looked around and they were like we're going to give UCC the first in the world like and they make it sound like that's what it means but it doesn't it just means that there were were people who cared about this and they felt like our college had a responsibility to do better and um you know, the advertising they're getting with this now, even from, you know, the work that we do as students um, uh, within Green Campus and in Virusock, like our work is used in the reports that get the college, that, that allow the college to renew their green flag status. And this is having a real material impact because when you speak to young people, and um, I just brought in the example when I was speaking of last year, when we celebrated 10 years of Green Campus and there was a big event in college and they invited primary and second level schools. And I gave a workshop to a group of kids uh, with Mark as well. And I was talking to them afterwards, the kind of older kids who were in secondary school. And, you know, they they want to come to UCC because, because we care. We say we're a Green Campus and we say these things are student-led. And, you know, we know that kids, they're like kids in the climate movement are so inspirational and they're so hungry for change and these are factors they're seriously considering when they're considering where they want to come to college so that not only shows that you know we should really be putting um our words into action but also you know I want to ensure that we're leaving pathways and avenues for these future students to hold their university to account as well. Oh, sorry, I was rambling again there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, to kind of to wrap up our, our presentation, we kind of wanted to, to look at the changes that the university needs to make like now. 
And we were kind of like looking at our, our climate assembly for some inspiration to this. But one of the things was we need to kind of push for a plastic free university by 2022. So there was a petition a few years ago um, that would be plastic free by, I think it was single use plastic free. It wasn't even plastic free. Yeah, it wasn't all plastics at all. By 2023. But like, <laughs> that's actually very far away. And like now is the time to actually bring in that policy. And we need to start looking at kind of circular procurement a lot more. One of the other big things that came out of it was the how bad our biking facilities are and that we need kind of more bike sheds, bike racks and covered bike racks because they're just not there and that they need to be kind of included in our new, I suppose, there was a new building built two years ago at this stage. And there was just, I think there's bike racks outside it, but like, why are they not covered? And I think it's this aesthetics thing that the university have is they're like, oh, they don't look nice. Another big thing was, and in the kind of presentation before us from buildings in the States, they were showing how much like waste and energy the university is still using, even when it's at such a low capacity of students. Um, and it's our research labs that are using all of this energy and producing so much waste. So that like, we need to really start pushing for more sustainable labs and there are green lab certification programs so that we need to start pushing and really supporting our labs to achieve that and it is something that they are trying to work on at the moment but like we really need to accelerate that another thing was that we should be having a, an annual climate assembly i was bringing up the point that there are like twenty-two thousand students and like three thousand staff or something and like most of those people don't ever like really engage with kind of sustainability or pushing climate action in the university and I think a big part of that is they don't feel like they have an avenue to do that or they don't feel like if they did want to engage that their voice would be heard so I think like a climate assembly is a really good way of doing that and it kind of makes it a bit more democratic and allowing the entire university community to actually engage and contribute to these decisions um, we need more staff like people are at capacity and a lot of people who are working on this both students and staff are, are kind of volunteering their time but we really need people who this is like their job and that they can put their full effort into it um, the university needs to really start kind of lobbying the national and local government a lot more and the Cork City Development Plan is being developed at the moment yeah, summer it's being developed this summer and um, and to to take the climate assembly output that we're going to be releasing in a couple of weeks hopefully um, and use that in the university's submission to the development plan and we really need to push kind of access to education affordable housing and publicly funded student services and green infrastructure in that as well more efficient use of space and we need to stop building like I think it's that there are seven buildings either planned or under construction at the moment by UCC and like we have this obsession with constant growth and the more you end up building the more energy you end up using as well and, and a lot of the time like 
the building materials we're using to build these buildings are not very sustainable. They're made of concrete. We're just pouring everywhere. <laughs> Not a, not a great look for the world's first green campus. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to commit to uh, climate justice um, and a just transition approach to how we're dealing with climate action. Um, and then like the final point I brought up was we need to like subsidize low carbon food alternatives on campus um, and that the cheapest thing in the main arrest, it shouldn't be sausage bean chip. <laughs> <laughs> but that like we should be instead of kind of punishing people for eating meat in a way you know like a lot of people react negatively to kind of the meatless monday campaigns to just incentivize people to, to eat kind of vegetarian food you know um or low carbon alternatives and that sort of thing and locally grown food as well big thing i think and that was kind of how we wrapped up our presentation i would say like i would say the staff the like researchers took it quite well we were getting like well done in the chat and great point by the students <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got some really lovely um messages in the chat and a few emails afterwards which was really nice we managed to fly through that in about 15 or 20 minutes i think but it was definitely an uncomfortable conversation to have for them, but a very necessary conversation at the same time. Um, and like the university management will always say, oh, this is great. We want to be pushed by your students and keep, keep driving us forward and stuff. But like that is just empty rhetoric unless they actually listen to us, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be careful that even though we got this platform to speak, at Green Farm that unless we actually start to see action in the next few months it's just a way of keeping us quiet the rest of the year <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting and I uh, I don't know if people listening know but I'm going to be <laughs> <president> next year as <laughs> you president um, elect too <laughs> Um, but interestingly, I would be on the selection committee for the new college president and um, I will uh, have the opportunity to keep an eye out for these kind of considerations um, with prospective candidates for the position, you know, like, are they obsessed with growth and expanding campus and um, bringing in investment or are they... I'm going to be looking for someone that cares about the planet, cares about their students, um, isn't going to be obsessed with expanding and growing and generating income. So yeah, it'll be will be an interesting transition period. I imagine we're not going to get to see any action that we want uh, from this until the new president is is whoever that is uh, is per permanently put into office because I'd say our interim president doesn't have, uh, can't make any strong lasting commitments, yeah. to be honest. I wonder that, though, like, your job. Yeah, I wonder though if this is, if the climate assembly output is mandated towards the college, I think that will, that will help. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, 
of I course it was. It, but but you still like you know it's one thing we know this from this from even how the student union function it's one thing to mandate people you need people mm-hmm. at the other end who are willing to to do it yeah and i think yeah, that's, that's why it's so important to like include resourcing in our in our presentation was and again that quote from i can never say the name of the university Bakkeningen <laughs> university um you know it's all well and good to have these lofty goals but unless you have someone to mm. carry them out yeah um because we've got a few messages afterwards saying you know from a few staff members saying that they're going to do all they can to achieve what we outlined but uh, which is like unreal um but it needs it can't just be on a few it has to be on many many staff but I hope that since we were able to get into the green forum kind of properly this year that that will continue and it'll be easier for students coming in the next couple of years to kind of have their voice heard and make their points yeah because I think uh, the other thing like like you said earlier Mark there's a lot of students like we wanted with the climate assembly I'd say there's a lot of students that would like to have a say but they don't know where to go and like in all honesty, the only reason that we've managed to get a say is because we're very loud and we've been pushy about, you know, wanting to engage with staff. <laughs> the three of us, I'd say. Um, <laughs> we're uh, we're willing and ready to sit in a sit in a meeting or or talk to a staff member and just kind of say what we want to say and you know it should, it should be it should be easier than that <laughs> yeah yeah you shouldn't feel like you're pushing up against the brick wall all the time mm-hmm. well not all the time because we are lucky that we, we have had um great opportunities to work with staff really um but yeah when it comes about to kind of really changing things at the at the higher up level i think it's that thing of we're doing all we can at, at the bottom we need it to kind of we need an integrated top down and bottom up approach mm-hmm. really yeah especially considering that all three of us will be gone from UCC in a year or two um and we you know we won't be here forever trying to push for change so Asha will be here forever I'm sure the next year will uh <laughs> will take it out of me <laughs> <laughs> oh um so we mentioned a few times the Cork City Development Plan um, so basically the Cork City Development Plan or a development plan, um, ca- councils all over the country have to make a new development plan every six years. And it basically is kind of acts as a way of regulating development um, carried out by a council because, it, you know, if you think about it, it would be absurd for a council to have to apply to themselves for planning permission. So it's essentially the only like kind of democratic process for the public to have a say in the development within your, where you live, where, where you're from or wherever your residence is. Um, so they'll be, um, they're currently developing the next one, which will be published in 2022. And um, in this summer, they will, they'll be opening it up for public consultation. And you can basically just make a submission as far as that there's no kind of application or anything you can literally just like write an email to to the if you google it on the cork city cork just google cork city development plan um and you'll find an email for the for the city developer 
and uh, I'm sure you can I think you can just email and it's like if if you want to see better cycling infrastructure if you want to see free public transport you know be as outlandish and, and as radical as you want because they're legally obliged to take your what you say into consideration um so do it you it's it's uh there's other ways you can you can participate in the democratic system outside of voting mm. i think people forget that you know it's not just it's great it's great and it's important to use your vote when there's elections and stuff but there's a lot of other avenues as well for you to influence things and um this is an important one particularly if you consider the fact that in six years time uh, with this development plan, we're going to be coming up close to the 2030 mark <laughs> when uh, that everyone says is the is the kind of D-Day for climate <laughs> stuff. Um, and yeah, we have been discussing amongst, amongst ourselves, maybe trying to run a workshop uh, coming into the summer about just to kind of to explain to people how to make a submission. So if we get that up and running keep an eye out for it i'm sure we'll be talking about it we mystify the whole process because it can be very intimidating yeah yeah it can be it's actually it's not as as scary as it may seem at first um you don't have to write an essay um all right the two people doing law masters <laughs> <laughs> um, there's not much information about it even no. as like, even as like, I feel, you know, we've done a module on planning law and I'm still just like, where, like, how is the average person supposed to understand like what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely only have the insight because we're studying environmental law, but yeah, that's a huge thing too. Um, <laughs> that's our next um, podcast episode, accessibility to law. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it would be definitely worthwhile. Yeah that workshop um and there is a they're they're trying to build another hotel in cork on camden key and um where there was that beautiful uh, old circuit course that they knocked down without planning permission i'll have you know um and there's been more about it for years but a new company have put in an application to build a hotel there and so you can make a submission about it um until the 22nd of april if you are opposed i mean if you're pro hotel building that's a, that's a you problem Cork needs more <laughs> hotels <laughs> but, um, if you're opposed to it um, or you know for whatever reason for aesthetic it's a beautiful old heritage site um, to be honest personally I'm opposed to them being granted retention planning permission because they just should never have knocked it down they had no right to yeah I mean, uh, as we said earlier, we need to stop building if we're serious about reaching our, our climate targets and decarbonizing. We need to stop building hotels and offices in such a reckless manner. They're already, already given planning permission to build that huge one on the docks. So okay. make your voice heard if, you, uh, if you're opposed to it. <laughs> we might share something about, on the, about that on the Envirosac page as well, just to... Yeah, I'm 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 doing my research now. It's actually sorry to just rant about this, but nope. it's just mad <laughs> to be honest. Um I found like a inspector's report from Onboard Panala from 2008 and like the inspector because there was planning permission then and to build offices and this was before they knocked the back of the building and the inspector was just like you you can't knock this building. It's just like such an iconic part of the city and Firstly, and, and secondly, like you, you want to build a building that's higher than the original building 
So anything greater than four stories would just like ruin the landscape. So you're talking about like, you're going to be blocking the view from the city, from the kind of south, south sides of the city across. So so you wouldn't be able to see like Shandon Bells and all this, all these kind of things that are really seriously considered in um, the planning process. And they just, they did it anyway. <laughs> uh, they did it anyway. And now they want re- retention planning permission. So it's a big no for me. <laughs> it's a big no from Envirosoc. Yeah. Big no from Envirosoc. Um, there's, some, there's some cowboy stuff going on there, but uh, unless we're participating in the, in the democratic process, mm-hmm. that's the only way they're going to listen to us, unfortunately. So would- do make a submission. Yeah, I would point out that when Asha says there's some cowboy stuff going on there, she doesn't mean the good cowboys. It's no, the, no. The bad cowboys. <laughs> I mean, hand in pocket, handwritten. The, uh, just this inspector report he was talking about, like all, the environmental officer, the heritage officer, they were all like, no, we don't agree. This building shouldn't be knocked down. And then the inspector was like, but I found a handwritten note from the like council planner who said that like he didn't think that this development was going to contravene the development plan and he intended to give planning permission it's just like what how is that i was a hundred note like the evidence here <laughs> oh no oh no yeah. Celtic tiger boom stuff there yeah yeah actually 2008 you're right <laughs> my god we would despair <laughs> I don't. This could be a whole episode in itself, and maybe Honestly, it will be yeah. in our not at all regular podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're busy people. <laughs> and one thing I just want to get in before we wrap up as well is next week we have our AGM, so students have a chance to run to be on the Environment Committee, and it's great fun, super stressful. It'll take up all your time and you'll probably end up failing your degree. Uh, so get involved. <laughs> Way to sell it. Failed our degrees. Yeah, we've both successfully and you've actually, our degrees. You've actually been doing a great job since you moved to environmental science. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on Called out there. <laughs> um, but it'll also be the end of Nia Vanesh's reign on Envirosoc, which is going to be sad times. So sad. It's be so I'll have such FOMO when um, you're all in UCC next year and I'm gone. We're probably going to have such FOMO with you like living your life out. <laughs> 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 oh what are we doing? So here. <laughs> Becoming part of the scenery in UCC. Being there Honestly, it feels like it. Yeah. We might wrap it up there. So thank yeah, you Asha, for joining us I know you're a very busy president-elect thanks. thanks for having me anything anytime so yeah this is our episode of what the frack all about green forum thank you for listening and make sure to come to our EGM next week uh, my name is Neve. my name's Mark I'm Asha and this has been what the frack what the frack <laughs> outro music <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs>